Our Father, we give you thanks for who you are and what you have done. We thank you that we can come before you and take all our sorrows, all our pain, all our guilt to you Amen. in prayer. So, Father, we just take this time now and just ask your blessing upon Robbie. It's so great that he's up here again, uh, expounding your word, and we are just so thankful for him. And we pray you'll be with him mm. and challenge us as well as we listen to your word. Yes, and up again. Mm. So thank you once again in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gary. Well, thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here. And um, this morning our passage is James chapter... Thank you, Timmy. We might need that. You know, people say I'm like a camel. I go on and on and don't realise how dry I am. And, and so I probably need a little bit of water. <clears throat> James chapter 5. And um, that's the passage I've been given. And we're reading from verses 13 to verse 18. And next week we'll finish the, finish the chapter, Lord willing. If we're still here and not in glory, where all our friends have gone, we'll be looking at 19 and 20 next week. And, um, and that will be a gospel presentation. So if you've got any friends that aren't saved, it will be mainly gospel next week, which I love. But today we're looking at uh, ministry, so it's verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? You wouldn't think so when you read through the book. Let him sing psalms or praises. Is anyone among you sick? Look at that word sick, and I want you to remember that little word sick. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Look at that little word again, sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses or your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And look at that word healed later on and uh, might open our eyes a little. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then it bursts into Elijah here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours or just like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his word. <clears throat> well, I've called it a time to pray and a time to call the elders. I forget what's on your list there, but anyhow. A time to pray and a time to call the elders. And we want to look at this passage because uh, it's been the battleground, if you like, of interpreters over many, many centuries. You, I've read about six or eight commentaries on this passage, and most of them have got a different view to the other, and they all differ. And I'm not claiming to have the, the right answer this morning, but I've studied it, worked it through for probably over probably 20 years, this passage, because there was a time when I ran around with a bottle of oil and a few elders, even in South America, then in Whittiora, and prayed for sick people, and believing with all my heart that God would heal them. Three, three weeks later or three months later, 
they got a call to glory. And I used to feel so devastated, so gutted, that I spent this time in really believing that God would heal and answer prayer. So I, uh, I've had to look at this and proof test it. And, uh, you know, Roman Catholics and faith healers of every persuasion have used it to teach that all sickness, all sick Christians are guaranteed healing through prayer. Others see it as a precedent for anointing sick people with oil, as I did. <clears throat> so this passage raises a number of, uh, of interpretive questions and difficult questions. And I put the questions up there for you to look at. One, what kind of suffering? You know, does James have in view here? Verse 13. What type of sickness is in view in verse 14? What is the anointing with oil in verses 14? Does the prayer of faith always heal the sick? Well, just the last uh, few weeks, six and this morning I hear another one. Seven people who are very close to us have died through sickness. Just within the last few weeks, I've been privileged to speak at some of the funerals. You know, and all these people, if I could really believe what I used to believe about this passage, I would have run with a bottle of oil and anointed them with some elders and believing that God would raise them up. Dear Bobby Coombs, only just uh, 58, wonderful, wonderful lady, was buried on Friday in Tarawa. Came to the Lord at Whittiora Bible Chapel. Her husband is a wonderful man of God. You know? Then we have dear Ron Diprose, commended by this assembly. Him and I were great friends in our teens. We went to Bible school together. We were prefects together in Bible school. We did a lot of things together in our, when we, in our youth. Children's missions, beach missions, and so on. And giving talks at young people's. He decided that the Lord called him to Italy, and we went to South America. But we've remained great friends over many, many years. If I knew a bottle of oil and the prayer of, would raise that man up, I'd have gone all the way to Italy to do it. And Timmy's here today. It's Timmy's uncle, Timmy Randall. And what a great uncle you've had. In fact, John MacArthur, writing a series of commentaries, one of the great Bible teachers in America, has written a series of commentaries of the whole of the New Testament. And in one of his commentaries in the book of Luke, he writes Ron Diprose from Hukunui Bible Chapel and Raleigh Street Bible Chapel in Cambridge is one of the greatest teachers we've raised up among God's people. And he came, his wife comes from this assembly. So we have a lot to be thankful for. But today he's rejoicing in the presence of God. Hmm? So what's this all about? Does the prayer of faith always heal the sick? How does sickness relate to sin in verse 15? What type of healing is in view in verse 16? Why does James give an illustration here about rain in the middle of restoration? That answers a big question. Why, why, James? Why not an illustration about Elijah if it's about real healing? Why not a, a raising the widow's son in 1 Kings 17, 17? Surely raising someone from the dead would make a, a more appropriate uh, uh, understanding if that's what it's all about, if physical healing was all about, if it was all about physical healing. 
Or why not something much more current? Uh, for instance, Peter uh, healing the paralyzed man who had been bedridden for eight years in Acts chapter 9. Or something more, much more explosive when Peter raised up Dorcas to life. She was a woman full of good works and charitable deeds. Why doesn't Jane mention her? You know, she's raised from the dead. But he doesn't. He goes on to talk about a drought. So you think about that. So the key to me to answering these questions properly and interpreting the passage lies in understanding its context. You know, people dive into the Bible and grab a verse from Jeremiah or a verse from Isaiah and they build a whole life around it. Well, the Bible's not about that. Hmm? To properly understand any passage of Scripture, one must interpret it in the light of the passage before it and after it. Never just dive into one verse. It gets very prickly if you just do that. Therefore, before attempting to interpreting these challenging verses, a quick review, I believe, of the context in which it was written is absolutely necessary for understanding. If you don't do that, you won't understand what this passage is all about. But we've been privileged, haven't we, listening to speakers Sunday by Sunday, uh, listening to James, the book of James, as James writes to, uh, you know, the uh, Jewish believers uh, who had to flee Palestine. Uh, we read in Acts 8, 1, they had to flee Palestine because of the great persecution. And when the scripture says it was great, it means really great. Number one, Acts Chapter 8 and verse 1 to 4. In chapter 1, verse 1, James refers to them as the 12 tribes scattered abroad, scattered all over the world because of persecution. They've had to flee Jerusalem, flee Palestine, and find rest and a haven somewhere else. In verse 2 of James, he says in chapter 1, he says he encouraged them to be patient as they face trials and persecution, even death. My brethren, count it all joys is when you fall into various trials. Sorry going back to the beginning, but that's the clue to this passage. In his closing book in chapter 5, he returns again uh, to suffering. In chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, he describes the persecution believers were suffering at the hands of the wicked rich, even to the point of death. Then in chapter 5, 7 to 11, which Philip wonderfully reminded us last week, James calls for patience, endurance, and perseverance in those trials. And he mentions there twice, why? Because the Lord is coming. Christ is coming, so be patient. Don't give up. Hang on there. Hang in there. Don't throw in the towel. And in and these verses this morning, 13 to 18, prayer is mentioned in every one of those verses. Every one. And James' powerful exhortation to prayer embraces the prayer life of the entire church. And just quickly, verse 13, individual believers are called upon to pray. In verses 14 and 15, elders are called upon to pray. In verse 16, the whole congregation is called upon to pray. And the passage reflects James' compassionate pastoral heart for the suffering, weak, weary, persecuted, distressed believers under tremendous pressure. And so um, I, I believe this passage is concerned, number one, with spiritual weakness, with spiritual weariness, as we'll see, with spiritual exhaustion, with spiritual depression. And you say, well, I've never heard that before. Well, maybe you haven't. But I had to come to this conclusion after 
my ministry is over 40 years, 45 years, and missionary work, just on 50 years, missionary work and, and pastoral work. This is the conclusion I've come to. And to add physical healing would be out of place and inconsistent with the passage that we've read. So let's look at number one, prayer. <clears throat> prayer in times of evil treatment. Let's have a look, quick look at that. You see, the condition, is any among you suffering? And that Greek word, I won't go mention it, but it, it means suffering evil. Anyone among you suffering evil? The Amplified New Testament has it right. Is anyone of you afflicted, ill-treated, and suffering evil? Well, enduring unfair evil treatment, that's what it's about. Harsh affliction, abuse, bullying, oppression, slander, put-downs, insults, harassment, da-da-da-da, and on you can go. And you, saw, you see that. You know, in Tibet, just before the earthquake in Tibet, I read an article that uh, the, the Buddhist people were rounding up Christians, and I checked this out with John Edwards, also commended from this, this church. And he got an article similar to that. And he was saying that before the earthquake, Buddhists were rounding up Christians wherever they found them and putting them in jail and flogging them and so on in Tibet. Then the earthquake came and stopped all that. So it's not those suffering from physical disease, but those being persecuted and abused and ill-treated wickedly. And James says, what, what's he to do? He must pray. He must pray. Or she must pray. He must continually plead with the Lord in prayer. And the idea there is, in the Greek is, let him keep on praying. Don't give up. Just keep on, keep on, keep on praying. As Mr. Boynes used to say to me, keep on keeping on. The best is yet to be. Well, this is keep on keeping on praying. The best is yet to be. So um, Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 to 11. He said, we were burdened beyond measure, above our strength, so that we despaired of even life, even life itself. But he also goes on to say there in, in verse 11, you also helping together by prayer, helping us through those conditions by prayer. In 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. See what he's going through? First Peter 5, 7 says uh, here, and we've mentioned that this morning, haven't we? Thank you, Alex. Casting all your care, all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. The idea there is throwing something, casting, throwing something. You cast a fishing line, right, to get a big fish, you know, the ones I catch. Yeah. So it's throwing something. Casting everything upon who? Him, Christ. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. It's not just poor little me and my, my, I, 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 you know. He cares for us. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the one who holds it all together, although the scientists say it's cosmic glue that holds the world together. It should all blow apart, but he holds it all together according to Colossians. And we're to cast all our care upon the one who holds it all together. Hmm? So John, Jonah cried out. He said, when my soul fainted within me, he said, then I remember the Lord. Where was he? Right down in the, the depths of the stomach of the great fish. When I remembered the Lord. Yeah, and what did the Lord, he said, and the Lord heard me. <laughs> he got a shock <laughs> inside us, in a fish's stomach, and the Lord heard him. And what's the counsel here? Let him pray, let him pray. 
And we sang that lovely song, didn't we? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You know, King David reminds us all through the Psalms how low he got at times. How He says, the pangs of death in chapter 18, verse 4, the pangs of death have surrounded me. Sorrows of Sheol have surrounded me. The snares of death have confronted me. In my distress, what did I do? I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his holy temple. That's what we're to do. Mm. So let's look at the second one. Praise in times of overcoming. Is anyone among you cheerful? In this kind of situation, you'd wonder how those Christians in Tibet that were being rounded up before the earthquake and persecuted, you'd wonder how they could sing. But they did. Let him sing praises. Let him sing psalms. Paul and Silas did when they were thrown into prison. Remember that at midnight? They were singing praises to God singing to God. So the suffering, the happy, the wounded, the broken in spirit are both to pray and sing praises to God here. The one is to plead with God for comfort and strength. The other is to, 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 um, here is to sing praises to God for this comfort and strength that has been given. And both are essential for spiritual strength when facing persecution. And prayer and restoration. And we want to look at this for a little moment. Is any among you sick? Any among you sick? Well, I've got there, you know, um, 18 times the word sick is mentioned in the New Testament, in the Gospels rather. But when you come to the epistles, 14 times it's mentioned there as an emotional or spiritual sickness. And the Greek word there is athenios, athenios. And in the Gospels it means sick, sick people. But when you come to the epistles, it means under spiritual stress. Hmm? It doesn't mention, apart from two, two verses there in uh, Philippines 2.26, it's talking there about sick, sick people, bodily sick. Epaphroditus was sick and he almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on Paul and raised them both up. That's physically sick. Then you have Trophimus uh, in Second Timothy 4.20. Paul said, I left him in Miletus sick, physically sick. But as you go through the epistles, it's more to do with emotional stress and so on. And uh, if he was sick, Paul leaves us, the great apostle Paul leaves Miletus, one of his co-workers, sick in Miletus. Why didn't he grab a bottle of oil? <laughs> And run over then and anoint him and heal him and take him on with, it, with his missionary journey. No, he says, I've left him there sick. Yeah. So we, we look at 2 Corinthians, for instance, verse, chapter 12, verse 10. Paul uses Athenius to describe his weakness, his own weakness, produced by suffering. Suffering was gradually wearing him down, persecution after city after city. It was wearing him down. And he says, therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities in reproaches and needs and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am Athenius, when I am weak, that same verb is used here in, 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 in James. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Just as James uses it here in this passage, the suffering spiritual warriors... And uh, what are they? They're exhausted, they're weak, 
They're weary, under pressure, deprived and depressed, as we'll see later on in the passage. They've hit rock bottom. They've lost motivation. They want to throw in the towel. They're not able to pray effectively on their own. They need someone spiritually strong to help them. And you have many examples of that, like Elijah himself prayed. What did he pray? He said, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Kill me here and now. After his great victory, he'd come to the end of the road. Job prayed a similar prayer, Job 6 and verse 8 and 9. Oh, that I might have my request. What was Job's request? That God would grant me the thing that I long for, that he would if it would please God to crush me and cut me off right now. That's how low Job got. Moses, Numbers chapter 11, 10 to 15, he said, Lord, if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. I've had enough. These are great men of God. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he said, Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I come forth from the womb of my mother to see labor and sorrow? This is what it's talking about in James, dear people. And what are we to do? Next overhead says, call the elders of the church. Boy, that puts a lot of responsibility on elders, doesn't it, Ross? Hmm? And uh, it's a great burden. You think being an, on elderships, you know, easy peasy, it's a great burden. Call the elders. Let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why call the elders? Well, they are the spiritual strong in the church. They are the spiritually mature in the church. They are the spiritually victorious in the church. And God has raised them up in the church to lead, to guide, to feed the church of God. Hmm? And not only to feed them, but to care for them. That's a huge responsibility, caring for the church, caring for each other. The weak and the weary here, the defeated believers, are to call the elders. And the word there, to call, is proskaleo, means to come alongside them, the weak and the weary, and lift them up. You got the idea? First Thessalonians 5.14 says, The elders here are called to comfort the faint-hearted, uphold and help the weak. Same word, Athenius, who struggle with letting go maybe of sin or disobeying God's will. And it says, and they're to be patient with all. And you have the same thought in Galatians 6. We'll miss that for the moment. But here, you know, uh, the wounded and exhausted, the broken-hearted sheep are to call their spiritual shepherds. Don't wait for them to come and see you. The Scripture says you call them. And we can do it quite easy today. We have, you know, emails, we have telephones and so on to call them. Hmm? Call your spiritual shepherds who will gently intercede for you and renew your spiritual strength. And the early apostles understood this very clearly. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, remember they got so burdened down with the early church as it was exploding. People were being saved everywhere, and they couldn't handle it. And they were getting involved in the day-to-day -day things, making cups of teas and, uh, you know, putting out the biscuits and mowing the lawns or whatever. No, it wasn't mowing lawns those days, but whatever. And they looked out for men spiritual men, uh, to take over this responsibility. And what did they say? They said, we will give ourselves, what, continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. 
They didn't want to get sidetracked. And you find pastors and teachers and elders today getting sidetracked and so many other things they haven't got time to devote to the Word of God. I was just told last week of a, a pastor who resigned, and I said, why did he resign? They said they wanted him to do everything in the church, you know, sweep the, look after the pews and sweep the place and keep the place clean. And on Sunday they expected an A1 message when the poor guy was so broken-hearted and burdened with all the day-to-day -day running of their church. Hey, Gary, I hope they don't load you up with all the nuts and bolts. Oh, thank you. Mm. And call the elders, yeah. And uh, so the tragedy in many churches today, the weak, the weary, the struggling believers are often left out. Some of them are even isolated to find their way back with the sanctimonious self-righteous comments. He'll find his way. He'll come to his senses. She'll come right. And I'm sure we're all guilty. I've even heard the sad comment from this very place uh, that we shouldn't help those believers because it will make them codependent. Have you ever heard such rubbish? Codependent? 1 Peter 5, 2 says, if Peter encourages the elders, what, to shepherd, to pastor, to come alongside the flock of God which is among you. That's what the Scriptures teach us. Acts 20, 28, Paul encourages the elders at Ephesus to shepherd, to pastor, to come alongside the church of God which he purchased with his own precious blood. See how precious they are to God? James says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord the weak and the weary. Now, I guess it's not suggesting that we go down to super cheap and buy the cheapest oil we can find. Hmm. You have many examples in Scripture, and I haven't got time to look at them this morning. Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, uh, John 11, John 12, and so on. Anointing the sick, Mark 6, 13. Uh, you see, oil was commonly used as a medicinal purposes in biblical times. Isaiah 1, 6 speaks of the bruises, the score, sores, the wounds that have not been soothed with oil. You mentioned that twice at least in Isaiah. And you have an example in Luke 10, 33, 34, the example of the good shepherd. And you know that story better than I do because you went to Sunday school. I never had that privilege. Well, I did actually. To be honest, my mother sent me out and on prize giving day, and I used to wait for the kids to come out and see if I could pinch one of their prizes. Sad. But in all that, God was working in my life. And you have that example of the Good Samaritan, don't you? A priest saw the half-dead man on the side of the road, and he passed by. He went by. And then a Levi came. They were too busy about religion. Saw him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan traveler, it says, as he was traveling, the hated, despised, rejected Samaritan, as far as the Jews were concerned. What did he do? When he saw the weary traveler, hmm, beaten, wounded, naked, robbed, of all his possessions, lying in a critical condition on the side of the road. What did he do? He didn't pass by. No, he stooped down and helped him. He bought out his first aid kit, whatever that was. And you know what it was? Oil. And a little bit of wine to go with it. Yeah, and he says, the scripture says, he poured in oil and wine and bandaged up his wounds. Hmm? He took care of him. 
He took him to an inn. He even paid the medical bills. That's what the Lord is all about. And what did Jesus say to this guy, this proud, arrogant, religious man? He said, you go and do likewise. He got the message. <laughs> you go and do likewise. Metaphorically, the elders anointing the weak, weary, defeated believers with oil conveys the responsibility for elders to encourage, strengthen, refresh God's precious sheep. And having said that, who wants to be an elder? Well, the elders' ministry is intercession and restoration. Is to be done what? In the name of the Lord, not in their own name. And to do what, what does that mean? To do something in the name of the Lord is to do what he would have done is to pray, to pray in the name of the Lord, is to ask what he would want. To minister in the name of the Lord is to serve others as he would want, not what I think or what I want. It's to do it in the name of the Lord. And people mention the name of the Lord so glibly today, even in their prayers, in Jesus' name. And they haven't really thought about it much. Fourthly, prayer and consequences, encouraging the encouraging results of elders, comforting ministry, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Wow. What's that word sick mean? That's not Athenius like the first time we read sick. It's a different word altogether. It's very misleading, a misleading translation. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the translators, why didn't they get it right? You see, the Greek word here is kamno, not Athenius. It's a different Greek word. And it's only found one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, which clearly does not refer to physical sick people, but the spiritual weary. And it speaks about our Savior. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become kamno, weary. The NIV has it right. Grow weary and discouraged in your souls. The NLT says this. It says, think about all he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you don't become weary and give up. And that's what it's about here. And James speaking of spiritual restoration of weak, weary believers who the Lord will raise up, awaken through the righteous prayers of godly elders. God will restore his battered sheep. That's what it's on about. Verse 15, if, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You see, if sin has contributed to or resulted from the spiritual weakness and weariness and defeat of a fallen believer, that sin will be forgiven and the Lord will raise him up. So the work of true eldership is never easy, never ending, as they encourage the believers to confess their sins and be restored in faith. <clears throat> Number five, we're doing well. Confess prayer and fellowship. Confess your sin to one another. Pray for one another that you may be, oh, look at this word, healed. And they jump on that, don't they? Hmm? Healed. I just met a lady a, few, a couple of weeks ago. I've been to the doctor to get a checkup for my pneumonia and uh, she gave me a, a good talking to and uh, tells me I'm a lucky man to be alive. Well, thank God for that. She says, when I look at your report, she says, you're a miracle to be alive. Well, only the Lord knows about that. I don't. 
I was planning my own funeral, my own mind, and uh, where I would be buried and all that kind of thing. But God had mercy on me three months, four months ago and raised me up. See, God is good. And he's still good if he'd have taken me to glory. Better still. Right? So here we're to, uh, we're to pray for one another that you may be healed. We'll look at that word healed in a moment. You see, there's um, prayer is mentioned, as I said, in every verse, seven times in six verses. Pray, 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 pray. And we're not too good at that. Hmm. And turning his attention here from those believers who are weak and weary, afflicted, ill-treated and suffering, ill-defeat in spiritual battle, he addresses the whole congregation and he calls the believers here to confess their sins to one another and pray. Boy, they're not, wait, they're not to wait until sin drags them down. Hmm? Drag down, down, down. Down into the depths of utter spiritual despair and defeat. Because sin seeks to remain private. It wants to be hidden. But God wants it exposed and dealt with in a loving, non-judgmental fellowship of believers. And what? Private sin requires private confession. Public sin requires public confession. And I believe it's wrong for, you know, people to hang out all their dirty washing for all to see. You see that on Facebook so often. You know, people have no compunction about telling people what they're up to and what they're doing. And it's wrong, I believe. Such confession can do more harm than good or the original sin, especially telephones, emails, Facebook, Twitter. They all work overtime. Maintaining, I believe, an open, sharing, pray, praying relationship uh, with other Christians, those who you have confidence in, will help keep believers from crashing out in their spiritual lives. And the purpose for mutual prayer is that believers may be healed. I like that word, laomai. The word healed, laomai in Greek, means that doesn't mean that they might be healed physically, but spiritually, that they might be restored in their spirit. Hmm? And, uh, and we haven't got time this morning, but Hebrews 12 and 12, look at that, speaks of spiritual restoration. 1 Peter 2.24 speaks of healing from sin. But James uses it here for God's forgiveness, making the repentant believer spiritually whole again. And the prayer and power, the effective fervent prayer or energy of a righteous man accomplishes much or avails much. Wow. Elijah was a man of like nature like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know, throughout the Old Testament, rain was a sign of God's approval and blessing upon the nation of Israel. Uh, the absence of rain was a sign of God's disapproval and God's judgment. No rain? Hey, what have we done wrong? And we'll see that in a moment. You know, prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. And uh, why does James single out Elijah as a man of prayer? You ever wondered about that? Hmm? Why not one of the other Old Testament people uh, of an example of effective, powerful prayer? Why not Moses, a great example of a man of prayer? Look what he did. He fell on his face before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights in prayer. Wow. <laughs> You know, pleading with the Lord for his rebellious people. 
Isn't that a great example of prayer? Why Elijah? Or why not uh, Samuel, who cried out to the Lord all night for a, a rebellious king? Or why not Samuel's mother, Hannah, a great example of a woman of prayer and bitterness of soul? She wept and prayed for a child, and God heard her prayer and answered her prayer. Why not Daniel, who knelt and prayed three times a day, giving thanks to God in a very awkward position? Number eight, overhead. The story of Elijah and the drought would certainly to me be a strange illustration if James had physical healing in view in this passage. And I know I've been in the Brethren while well, I brought up a Methodist, an unbelieving Methodist, and they tried to get me into exclusive Brethren. But I've been in the assembly since I was about 20, 21 years of age. And I know what the teaching has been, not what I'm giving you this morning. So I want you to just look with me very carefully. Hmm? There are other biblical illustrations in healing that James could have used if it was physical healing. He could have used 1 Kings 17, 17, 24, Elijah's powerful prayer, raising up the widow's son to life. Certainly a much more appropriate passage for physical healing, but he doesn't use that. And here the picture of rain pouring down on parched, barren, dusty ground perfectly illustrates to me God's outpouring spiritual blessings on the weak, weary, barren, parched, struggling souls. It's a spiritual thing, people. Hmm? Remember, Elijah, after his great victory on Mount Carmel, he fled for 150 kilometers, and he didn't have a BMW to do it in. He ran on foot from wicked... Jezebel, in a moment of fear, he ran. He could handle 850 pro false prophets on Mount Carmel, but when it came to one woman, he fled, and who wouldn't? <laughs> Sorry about that, ladies. Spurgeon said this. He said he retreated before a beaten enemy. And he arrived in the desert, sat down under a shade tree, a, broom, a juniper tree or a broom tree, as some translations have it, absolutely exhausted, physically weak, burnt out, hungry, desperate, a failure, and lack of faith in the Lord. And he prayed not a very wise prayer, did he? Hmm? Oh, that I might die. I've had enough. I've had a gut full of this, Lord. Let me die right now. After a great victory... He says, I'm no better than my grand ancestors, my forefathers. You know, he expected, his expectations were not fulfilled and he felt like a failure. And those of us who have been in full-time work and pastoral work, eldership, we know exactly where he's coming from. So often you feel like a failure and you wonder why, what it's all about. You see, he, he was so weak, so weary. Hmm? And guess what? An angel brought him fresh, freshly baked cakes in the desert. An angel tapped him on the shoulder. Hey, look, here's some beautiful cakes. You know, arise and eat in the desert. Angel food. That would leave McDonald's in a McPickle, wouldn't it? Hey? Angel food, angel food, you know, and, and they were still hot, freshly baked out in the desert. 
an angel fed him. And I always smile when I read that. And he went on the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights. Here was wicked King Ahab who should have been looking after God's servants. It says he was building, he was building palaces with all his wealth, building palaces. Here's God's servant waiting for angels to feed him. Here's God's servant by a brook waiting for the ravens to feed him. Here's God's servant goes to a widow who's got nothing. She's making the last little broth, little soup, pot of soup. And she says, and when my son and I have finished it, we're going to die. The man who should have been looking after him, King Ahab, building palaces, oblivious to God's servant. And I hear this morning that Ron hasn't even got enough money. My best friend, one of my best friends, not even enough money to pay for his funeral expenses. Is that right? That bleeds my heart. That breaks my heart. But here's a man who's given his whole life for the work of God. A little bit like Elijah. And so he goes on that strength. And he went all the way. Imagine that. Forty days and forty nights, the Lord maintained him. And it, he comes to the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, and the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? Oh, he says, the God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've torn down your altars, they've killed your prophets with a sword, I the, am only one left. And what? They want to take my life now. They want to get rid of me. They want to do me in. Elijah has come to the end of himself. You might say the end of the road. Discouraged, weak, weary, struggling with the onslaught of, perfect, of persecution from his own people. But the Lord reminds him, hey, Elijah, there are 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, a false god, and worshipped him. And no doubt his own ministry had played an impact on those 7,000. You see, the Lord had other plans for Elijah. But here he is so weak and weary. The Lord wanted him to go on and do some more ministry. And later the Lord was going to provide a chariot of fire and take him to heaven in a blaze of glory. Hey, get up, you little tyker, and keep working. You know, Elijah had a, nat a, a, a nature just like us, didn't he? Just like us, just like Robbie, just like Ross. Had a nature just like us. He was hungry, he was afraid, he was weak, he was discouraged, he was weary, he was depressed, and he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. What a prayer. That it would not rain. Then it would rain. You see, Elijah's prayers both created and ended devastating three and a half year drought. In 1 Kings 17, just very quickly, there would be no rain or dew, the Lord told him, in these years. And then he tells the powerful King Ahab that your God, Baal, who was the God of the rain, the God of the storms, the God of the seasons, supposedly, and the God of fertility, who you and your wife Jezebel, wicked Jezebel, he didn't say wicked, worship, is not in charge of the seasons or the rains, but the God, Lord God of Israel is. And then what does the Lord say? You better flee for your life. <laughs> and he ran to the brook Cherith. And, it, and the Lord said, and when you get there, I've commanded, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. They're going to look after you. Not that wealthy, pious king 
in his throne and on his palace throne and so on. No. Then later on he says, I've commanded. I've commanded the ravens to feed you. I've commanded the widow to feed you and so on. Hmm? Yeah. Elijah prayed earnestly. You see, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. And we need to pray about that. And why does James in closing single out Elijah as the man of prayer? Why? Well, you've probably got your own conclusions now. Hmm? He was a man just like us. No different. With all the ups and downs, spiritually weakness and weariness, burnt out, hungry, you know, a deep sense of failure and wanting to throw in the towel and give up. But he prayed. Oh, I like that. But he prayed. How's your prayer life today? How's your prayer life? Those battling spiritual problems? Hmm? If you are spiritually weak and weary, struggling in your Christian life, you may not, dear people, have the angels to come and give you fresh buns in the morning, still warm. You may not have the ravens to come and feed you and give you a roast morning and night. You may not have a widow to come and look after you. But the scripture says, if you're feeling like that, call the elders. Call the elders to come and pray with you so that you may be restored, so that you may be revived, so that you may be refreshed in your spiritual life. If you do that, God will richly bless you. I know I've gone way over time and I'll probably get the reps, but I don't think I've spoken here for about 12 months, so just a little story. <clears throat> I was up north with my sister who's got cancer and trying to get over cancer. And she sat, we sat down one day and she started to cry. She says, Robbie, I'm concerned about my church. I won't tell you what church it is. And I said, why? She said, well, she says, people are coming in in their scores, but they only stay a while and they go. We never see them again. She said, we've gone through, we have a great program. She said, we've gone through nearly 100 people in the last 12 months. They just come and go. And she said, we're all too busy to look after them. We're all doing our own thing. And she said, a lovely lady, and I said... She said, you know, and I said, yes, I do. She's related to me. She said, she's been pleading for a couple of years for someone to visit her sick husband. She said, nobody really cares. Unless you're young and getting with it and, you know, all go, go. Nobody really cares about the older people in our church. And she said, that dear woman kept pleading and pleading for help. No one went to her help. She left that church. I'm not suggesting you leave here this morning, <laughs> but leave for, for, for lunch, but come back next week. But she said, this dear lady, and I know her, she's actually been here. She left that church, went down the road, up the street a bit, and met with another church that I was told never to have anything to do with when I first got converted because Robbie said, they are the halfway house. I said, what, the halfway house? He said, yes. He said, they haven't got all the truth. He said, those Baptists are only halfway. Oh, I've since learnt a lot. 
Well, she went to this church up the road. You know what happened the first week? The pastor got a couple of elders from his church, went out to this dear woman and her sick husband, had a little breaking of bread. They had a time of singing. They had a time of prayer. And she said, Robbie, you wouldn't know that dear sister today. She's a changed woman. She said, her husband's still sick, but she said, he's really come back to the Lord in a mighty way. That's what James is on about. Not all this huffy, fluffy stuff. Hmm? You got the idea? Well, I better close. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for all these wonderful people here, Lord, that need encouraging, that need building up, that need supporting, as the scripture says, to lift them up because they are the flock of God bought with the precious blood of Christ. Oh, God, we pray that you'll give the elders of this church the strength and the courage and the time to visit them, to support them, to lift them up. Father, we pray for Gary and his ministry today. Just be with him and bless him and encourage him because, Father, those who are in the forefront of the battle need extra protection, extra prayer, extra encouragement, so we come and commit him to you today. And Father, for dear Ron, we know he's in your presence. And as he said, Robbie, this is my last letter only a few days ago. Indeed it was. Now we'll meet him in glory. But Father, we pray for those left behind. We pray for his family here, for Paul, Randall and Leach and their family. We pray, Father, for... Um, Albert Randall and Claire Randall and their families. And we pray for the families in Italy. Father, that you'll draw near to these people who are suffering, who are feeling weak and weary because of what's taken place. Lord, we pray that the leadership of the church in Italy will surround them in love and comfort and strengthen them. And so today we come and just commit each one to you today and would ask your blessing and encouragement on each one. In Jesus' name, amen.